0: Adams on Agriculture brought to you by Sinex Premium Diesel. Sinex Premium Diesel, a more complete additive package for a more complete burn.
1: Informing America's farmers and ranchers, it's Adams on Agriculture. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello everyone. Welcome to Adams on
0: Agriculture. So glad you've joined us and we appreciate you letting us be part of your day. Hope you're having a good day. Here's what we're going to talk about with you today. Robert White with the Renewable Fuels Association will join us to give us an update on efforts to get higher blends of ethanol to uh, motorists across the country. How are some of the steps that have been taken? You know, The president uh, made the decision to let E15 be used in E10 pumps. There are some other programs out there, some money going out to try to help retailers make the switch. How are those efforts going? And are we seeing more uh, availability of higher ethanol blends across the country? We'll get an update on that. Uh, some strong beef export numbers we want to talk about with Dan Hallstrom, President and CEO of the U.S. Meat Export Federation, and a harvest update from Iowa and an area hit hard by deratio. Slow going, trying to get some of that uh, down corn harvested. We're going to get an update on that. On today's show as well. So we have a lot to talk about, but we'll start it off with Todd Neely, reporter for DTN. Todd, always good to talk with you. But when we look at the national picture, as far as the news is concerned, just about everything uh, is kind of on hold right now, for the most part, because of the upcoming election and, of course, the confirmation hearing for uh, Amy Coney Barrett. I mean, that's kind of really the focus of so much right now. Uh, that uh, not a lot else seems to be uh, going on as far as like work on a COVID aid package or some of those things.
2: Yeah, you know, Mike, it's interesting. We're seeing. You're right. It's been a. It's been a major slowdown on the COVID stimulus package front. Um, as far as we know at this point, there's just no. Uh, there's no negotiation going on. Um, you know, there's, there's been talk the president has been willing, uh, to do something here before the election. He's kind of changed his stance on that just a little bit, uh, seems to have opened up and and is willing to do something in the short term. Uh, but as you know, the nature of the the politics that we're in at this point in time, it's, uh, probably pretty unlikely that anything's going to actually materialize on that front. And, uh, you know, there's a lot out there yet. I mean, we still have a lot of concerns in the ag industry on a number of fronts. And, uh, you know, it, it would be interesting to see, you know, what uh, stimulus package that would pass would have maybe some ethanol provisions in it to help the ethanol industry, which is still on the ropes. Uh, you know, so that it's just kind of, you're right, we're at an impasse right now. And, and unfortunately, the the issues aren't resolving themselves at this point.
0: We oftentimes hear members of Congress, especially leaders in Congress, say we can do more than one thing at once. But uh, so often it doesn't yeah. seem like yeah. they can. They get they get so focused on one or two big issues that they can't get a lot of other things done that still need to be done.
2: Yeah, absolutely. You know, and I think, uh, you know, it, just the way this year has gone. The fact that we had a Supreme Court justice, Justice Ginsburg, pass away uh, at this point in time it really did kind of change the landscape on a lot of things. You know, I think the Trump administration here down the stretch to election day uh, was probably willing and ready to do a number of things and try to convince Congress to get, you know, a number of a number of issues sorted out. And, uh, you know, when that, when that occurred, when Justice Ginsburg's passing, uh, it certainly did change things in Washington. You know, even with an election year coming, I think, You know, the feeling was that there might be something that could get done on the stimulus package, for example. And I think, uh, you know, we just, you never know what happens. And this is one of those instances where, uh, you know, things just change on a dime.
0: And, you know, lame duck sessions, that's always a wild card anyway. But this year could really be one. I don't don't know that you could really count on anything really getting done in that either.
2: No, that's exactly right. And... uh, you know, you're right. It's not just the president's election coming up. It's it's all over the place. It's, uh, uh, And you're right. I mean, it's when politics get to this point, when it's re-election, you know, re-elections are at stake and that sort of thing. Uh, it definitely changes what Congress is willing to do. And, you know, it's it's kind of where we're at.
0: Uh, let's talk about one issue that is out there. I don't know if it's getting a lot of attention, but uh, it's an issue that's been up before. Uh, it's over the uh, use of um, radio frequency identification ear tags. RCAF is uh, opposing the proposal to mandate the use of those ear tags. Um, what are you hearing? I know you've been working on this story. What are you hearing on this?
2: Well, you know, we had a public comment period that ended here just recently. Uh, it was a 90 day public comment period. And, uh, you know, it got a little bit of feedback. It, it wasn't an overwhelmingly. Uh, popular rule. And uh, as you said, uh, our CAF has really been out against this rule for for quite some time. Um, You know, we were supposed to have this go into effect sooner than what it did. And USDA put the brakes on it uh, because it was trying to do it through a guidance. And, you know, a lot of people raised concern that, you know, maybe this should be done by rulemaking and so on. And so that's where we're at on that. Um, I do think, though, that uh, you know a lot of interesting concerns were raised during the public comment period. Uh, you know, by and large, I think cattle producers are concerned that they're going to, you know, they're going to incur all the costs in terms of implementing the program. Um, on the other hand, uh, it could be very beneficial because you know we've seen uh, the the inability to trace disease in this country, and I think uh, you know having some sort of a, a traceability program when it comes to the livestock and other animals, I think, could be a, a really, really good thing for the industry. Now, whether this proposal is, is the one to uh, to make that better, uh, you know, that's kind of up to other people. But I do think that uh, we're going to see more on this, and uh, it'll be interesting to see what what uh, USDA does on a final rule.
0: Yes, it will. And finally, uh, I mentioned this yesterday. Um, there's a lot of criticism being leveled at Secretary Purdue for um, what. Many feel is campaigning for the president while in his official capacity as secretary of agriculture. And that's, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, a lot's been brought up on that. My point yesterday was this is not new. Every secretary of agriculture that I can remember, and I've covered every one since (laughs) Berglund in the Carter administration, that's what they do when they're out. I mean, are, does anyone think the Secretary of Agriculture is going to go out and criticize their boss or not promote what the that administration is doing? Now, maybe some take it a little farther than others, and I would say that uh, uh, there's no getting around. Secretary Purdue has been quite a champion out in the countryside for, yeah. for President Trump. But really, that's what they do anyway.
2: It is, Mike. You know, and I think the other aspect of this is, you know, it's not just at this time of the year in this election period that, um, that Purdue's been out there actively talking about uh, the administration and what it's done and that sort of thing. He's been that way since day one when he was appointed Mm -hmm. the secretary of agriculture. And I think, uh, you know, I, you're right. It's kind of nonsensical to think that somebody in the president's cabinet would try to remain neutral or not talk about what the administration has done for farmers. And so uh, I find that an interesting, uh, interesting argument that's being made here lately.
0: Yeah, both parties do it. Some do it a little more yeah. out in front than others, you know, but uh, uh, yeah, they both do it. This is not anything new. All right, good to talk with you, Todd. Thanks a lot.
2: All right, thank you very much, Mike.
0: Take care. DTN reporter Todd Neely. All right, efforts underway to get higher blends of ethanol out into the marketplace for motorists to make their choice. We'll get an update on those efforts. Uh, how's that going, Robert White? Vice President, Industry Relations for the Renewable Fuels Association will join us next for that update. Hope you'll stay with us right here on AOA. Atoms on Agriculture brought to you by Synex Premium Diesel. Synex Premium Diesel, diesel that doesn't mess around recently on Adams on Agriculture. Joining us is Greg Tilka. He is an Iowa State Nematologist, and you have some new information showing the conditions this year in soybean fields could have an impact on SCN populations two years from now when those fields go back to soybeans.
3: This observation that scientists have had for years and years was that it seemed like soybean cyst nematode reproduced better in dry soils in other words numbers increased quicker just a few years ago we did an extensive uh, survey or study of 15 years of data over 25,000 research plots and that trend appeared FCN numbers increased more in dry soils and in hot soils and so We're a little concerned that SCN numbers might be really high this fall. You're in the corn bean rotation. That means there'll be really high numbers waiting for the next soybean crop.
0: For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture.
4: There's a reason more than a billion feet of ADS farm tile lies beneath America's heartland. It's simple. We build trust. Since 1966, farmers and their families have trusted ADS products to improve yields and create longer growing seasons. From lift stations to water control structures, ADS Agriculture has everything you need for total ag water management solutions. For everyone out there feeding the world, we wish you all a safe and happy harvest.
0: Join us every Tuesday for a Round the Table, brought to you by CHS, where we take a close look at the benefits of cooperative ownership. Every week, we'll host a new guest and discuss how you can get the most from working with your local cooperative. And we'll learn why farmers and ranchers just like you choose cooperatives to help them persevere and prosper. So be sure to tune in each Tuesday or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more.
5: You may not realize how important three letters can be. For a patient who needs type A, B, or O blood, these letters can mean life, but there simply aren't enough people giving blood. Waiting for critical surgeries, your generosity can give someone more life. Don't wait until the letters A, B, and O are missing from hospital shelves. You are the missing type patients need. Visit redcrossblood.org forward slash missing types or call 1-800-RED-CROSS to make your donation appointment today.
0: Adams on Agriculture is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. With Senex Premium Diesel, you can count on a diesel that will keep your operation in
1: top shape. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Always good to
0: catch up with Robert White, Vice President of Industry Relations for the Renewable Fuels Association. Lots to talk about with him. Wanted to basically, I wanted to make sure he was okay after his Chiefs suffered their first loss of the season this weekend. You doing okay?
6: I'm doing just fine. I felt felt bad for your quarterback as well, Mike.
0: Yeah, I I, I said that when I. Reached out to Robert in a text, uh, in an email. I said, uh, yeah, your team lost a game. My team lost a quarterback. I, <laughs> it was a tough weekend. All right. So, Robert, let's talk about the efforts um, to get higher ethanol blends out to motorists. Uh, there are a number of things going on. Uh, let's, let's go back to when uh, President Trump made the ruling uh, that E10 pumps could handle E15. Uh What's going on on that front? Is that starting to take place? Are we starting to see sw- the switch or not?
6: No, I mean, there, there's just so many things that have to happen, and, and a lot of it is actually out of the, the president's and the federal government's control. It, uh, a tweet can only do so much, I guess, is the, the moral of the story. But what we have to see is some action from not only the Office of Underground Storage uh, within the federal government. OSHA has some rules. And then really, it kicks down to the states where they have to assess uh, equipment compatibility, fire codes, you know, kind of a a, a top to bottom type of analysis on what needs to change and what needs to be updated. But there is no, uh, I guess, stroke of the pen here that can fix it overnight. But hopefully, several of the states will start making that movement and allow more E15 into the existing infrastructure. But in non non-ethanol states or non-pro-ethanol states, this is still going to take some time.
0: You know, one of the things I've learned in covering this industry over the years, and many of those years you and I have uh, been talking about the, some of these issues, but one of the things I've learned is something that seems so simple, pull up to a gas station and fill up your tank, uh, is not simple at all. What's behind the scenes of what is offered and how it gets there to you that is a complicated uh, procedure and there are a lot of different uh, steps to be taken hurdles to go over and you don't just change those things overnight
6: no and and this really goes back to vehicles we it's amazing the correlation between vehicles and the gas stations so for example we made all of the we should have made more flex fuel vehicles and at the same time we should have made sure the fuel stations were compatible all the way up to E85, those types of scenarios. And then we introduced E15 into older vehicles back to 2001, and now the idea is to do the same at the gas station. So it's, it's one of these things that they, they kind of follow each other. Some are Sometimes the vehicles are ahead, sometimes the stations are ahead, but ultimately what we need to do is make sure that the vehicles, the fuel stations, everyone is in sync, and so that consumers have those options at their disposal when they pull up to the pump.
0: So what are some of the programs going on out there? There's some money now in Iowa, right, to help the process. What's going on?
6: Well, USDA's program, uh, HBIP is what it's affectionately known as, was announced, I guess, during Commodity Classic that last day. I think I was on the air with you there uh, to announce that program, and it was $100 million for biofuels. So you had $86 million For ethanol, you had 14 million for biodiesel, and that application process started in May, went into August, and they have started to make awards. Uh, Just last week, Secretary Purdue was in Minnesota and Iowa and announced the first round of 22 million dollars for biofuels infrastructure. Uh, Several hundred stations we expect to come out of this program, and more announcements uh, coming soon. But uh, at the RFA, we've been neck deep helping retailers, even paid for some of their grant writing. So it's it's been a fun process, but it's important again that these are not light switches that come on overnight. We hope all of these stations will be offering these higher blends within 18 months. but again, the process takes time.
0: How much of an increase have we seen, say in the last year of stations going to E15 offering E15?
6: Well, I think we're going to see, you know, probably somewhere around two or 300 new stations this year. Uh, it's a little slow, but we have to remember, clear back in, I think it was September, uh, when the six Midwest senators were at the White House, a promise of some sort of infrastructure program came out of that meeting with the president. And so imagine if you were thinking about offering E-15 and or E-85, and there was just a tease of some federal money coming, you probably were told by either your legal counsel or your accounting department that you might want to wait and see what comes out of that. So I, I truly think that slowed the process down uh, with some of the advancements and availability. But at the same time, we're going to see a quicker pace once this fu- funding gets uh, you know, passed around.
0: We're talking with Robert White with the Renewable Fuels Association. Now, we are starting to see some chains uh, showing interest and in making moves to go to higher blends.
6: That's right, and we we've seen some of the most notable chains in the country. But uh, you know, Casey's is one that's really coming on strong. They have just flat out said we're going to be the number one E15 retailer in the country, and have ramped up. I think they're getting close to 300 stations now, with plans to go well past 500. They were part of that uh, funding announcement from last Thursday. But of course, come and go uh, sheets. Uh, I'm going to miss someone, so I'm a little remiss there, but. Uh, we think that out of just this, this USDA program alone, you should see more than a thousand new stations offering these higher-level blends. And let's not forget, there are several states and even state corn grower organizations that offer funding to help retailers, you know, get off the fence and, and and take advantage of some of this. And at least until the end of the year, we do have some federal tax credit money for alternative fuel infrastructure, and E85 can play a role there.
0: So when you're talking, as you often do with retailers, what's usually the first thing they bring up about whether or not they're going to make the switch?
6: Well, it, it comes down to two things. Is, is really anyone interested? You know, what are consumers doing? What type of sales volumes are we seeing at these stations? Um, and sometimes that's a cold call. Sometimes they've, they've kind of been pushed into the conversation because maybe someone in their, their town or maybe across the corner Uh, has e15 and they can sell it cheaper than they can sell their regular unleaded so it really brings the issue to the forefront quickly and then the other main conversation is what my station is compatible and if it's not then what programs are out there because we've seen stations that have the ability to change labeling and start start offering uh, a fuel like e15 and we've seen stations do complete renovations as part of a an overall project of renovations within that company. So it really depends station by station on, is it a few dollars in labels or is it a major investment that, you know, will last for a couple decades, but no doubt a, a major investment. And let's be, you know, let's be clear. These fuel stations are not making millions of dollars. Any investment into their companies or into the individual stations are expensive in their minds. And we have to, demonstrate to them how they can make that return on investment, and uh, the good news is, like most things with ethanol, the positive story is there, and we just present that business case to them.
0: Is there still consumer confusion about E15?
6: There is, but I think that's true of all fuel. I mean, you could you could ask consumers today, what does octane mean? And I I would wager that probably less than 20% would know what octane is or why it's important you get to the various marketing brands we have premium we have supreme we have you know the the mid grades we have the clear uh, and then we have various marketing names for e15 as well so I I think it's just one of those things that it gets back to our job of educating consumers best we can so that when they get to the pump they're at a neutral position on e15 or e85 or ethanol in general And then those options are there for them to make that decision from there. Most of the time, it's economics to drive it. And again, ethanol is typically in the driver's seat there.
0: I was going to say, unless scared off or have some concerns in their minds, most will choose go by price.
6: Yeah, it's still always usually close to 80% will choose on price. And so, I mean, there's others that, you know, the convenience store, the, the options there, those types of things. But ultimately... Price is a driver, and and uh, almost 100% of the time, ethanol is going to win that conversation. Yep.
0: takes time. I, I still think of the days you and I were out on the road promoting E10 and, and trying to uh, educate people about E10. That seems like a long time ago, but now we're doing it uh, with E15 and other blends.
6: Well, let's not kid ourselves, Mike. It was a long time ago. But, it was a uh, long time ago, yeah. <laughs> no, nonetheless, uh, history keeps repeating itself
0: yeah that's right hey good to talk with you thanks a lot take care we'll hope to see you soon sounds good mike all right robert white vice president industry relations for the renewable fuels association yeah many years ago we were out on the the ethanol pump tour um, trying to educate people about what was a new fuel to them back then e10 and now you know now we're doing it with with e15 all right up next We have some uh, good meat export numbers, especially some beef export numbers to talk about with the President and CEO of the U.S. Meat Export Federation, next on AOA. Cinex Premium Diesel comes with a more complete additive package for a more complete burn to optimize performance in all engines recently on atoms on agriculture well we have the latest numbers in the Purdue cme group ag economy barometer joining us now is purdue ag economist michael langmire
3: the index increased to 156 from 144 in august back in april and may we're right around an index of 100 and so the index has increased dramatically since its uh, lows in in april and may if you look at the two subcomponents the index of current conditions increased more than the index of future expectations And I think that was due to two different things. One is the increase in in prices, particularly corn and soybeans, from late July, early August into uh, September. But also, uh, this survey took place right after uh, the announcement of the second round of the uh, CPAP payments. So I think both of those things were important to the increase
0: in index of current conditions and the increase in the Ag Economy Barometer Index. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture.
1: Time now for a market check here on Adams on Agriculture. I'm Rusty Halverson from the American Ag Network. After sharp Monday losses, soybean futures trying to reclaim lost ground on this Tuesday. In corn, we are trending a penny and a fraction higher an hour into the trading day. Wheat futures have seen two-sided activity, a contrasted weather situation in place in the Black Sea area, according to some of the Wire talk. Dryness persisting in Russia, raining in Ukraine. Chicago wheat December, an hour into the day, down a penny and a quarter at 5.93. Kansas City wheat December, down a half at 5.30. Minneapolis spring wheat December, steady at 5.42 and three quarters of a cent. In soybean futures, November up ten and a quarter at 10.44. January up a dime at 10.46 and a half in corn, December up a penny and a half at 3.90 and a half, March up a penny and a half at 3.98 and a quarter. We'll see updated crop progress and harvest numbers from USDA later on this afternoon after the federal holiday on Monday. For livestock at the Merck in live cattle futures, we are trending higher after Monday's losses. December up 25 at 11107. February up 30 at 113.37 feeder cattle November up 50 at 136.05 January up 22 at 133.87 some light cash cattle trade reported yesterday at 109 on a live basis that'd be steady with a week ago lean hog futures December down a dollar forty sixty five twenty two on Wall Street the Dow is down 93 S and P down 11. NASDAQ composite down 23. November crude oil up 68 cents. You're listening to AOA I'm Rusty Halverson from the American Ag Network.
7: Do you know how to keep food safe at home? Clean,
4: separate, cook and chill.
7: The easy lessons of clean, separate, cook and chill will help you protect your family and be food safe. Let's talk about how to separate First, use different cutting boards for meat, poultry, seafood, and veggies. Raw meat should never touch food that won't be cooked. Then, always keep raw meat, poultry, seafood, and their juices away from other foods in the shopping cart. And store raw meat, poultry, and seafood in a container or on a plate in the fridge so juices won't drip on other foods. Food safety risks at home are more common than most people think. The USDA is your partner in being food safe.
0: Clean,
4: separate, cook, and chill.
7: For more information, visit BeFoodSafe.gov or call 1-888-MP-Hotline.
0: Adams on Agriculture brought to you by Sinex Premium Diesel. Synex Premium Diesel, a more complete additive package for a more complete
1: burn. information america's farmers and ranchers need to know adams on agriculture now back to mike adams
0: always good to talk with the president and ceo of the u.s meat export federation dan hallstrom especially when we have good numbers to talk about and we do dan thanks for joining us let's talk about the strong beef exports to taiwan and south korea yeah
8: good morning mike and thank you for having me on uh yes uh Demand continues to be pretty resilient in 2020, uh, despite all the disruptions of COVID-19. And you're exactly right. Uh, on the beef side, these, uh, these beef muscle cuts saw amazing growth uh, in the month of August. Uh, it was our largest uh, uh, month in over a year at 89,000 metric tons, which is about 4% growth. And this was led by record monthly data out of Taiwan, Korea, and China. Uh, Taiwan and Korea were up a little over 20% each, and, and China was almost fourfold increase over a year ago. So I think on the beef side, this is a testament to seeing some of the food service uh, start to rebound. It's still not back to normal, but it is rebounding. A place like Taiwan, it, it is almost back to normal. Korea is still in a phase of the rebound, but while the food service begins to come back, we still have extremely strong retail demand and extremely strong online presence for U.S. beef products. So, so on the beef side, we're excited about a few of these things coming together.
0: So, tell us about the efforts that you've had uh, going on throughout COVID-19 to, uh, you know, keep U.S. meat. Products at the forefront in these countries that are d- dealing with a pandemic, uh, not only to sell during the pandemic, but to see these increases once the pandemic we start seeing improvements.
8: Yeah, well, that, that's a good question. Uh, we have staff on the ground in these countries, and you know, even while we were locked down here and they were locked down there, they were still there was still constant daily interaction. Uh, there was still activities going on at retail, especially. And on the online platforms, and uh, um, you know the, the amazing thing about it, all this disruption in 2020 is that people did not stop eating. Um, they're still eating. Um, they're they're maybe eating in different formats: less food service, less in restaurant dining, uh, more online delivery, uh, more retail presence to eat at home. And these are all things very similar to what's going on in the U.S., but I think the online presence in Asia especially is, is much higher than it is in the U.S. So we were well positioned to take advantage of this as an industry, and uh, I think we're starting to see the, uh, the, it come through in the numbers finally as well.
0: From, from a competitive standpoint, we often look at Australia as a competitor in these markets for beef. What's their situation right now?
8: Well, Australia has been very similar to a year ago data through July and August. But we're starting to see uh, they're very short supply. They, they are coming out of their drought and they're holding the cattle, you know, to rebuild. So the number of cattle available to come to market is, is much decreased from a year ago. So we're going to see that the last four or five months of the year uh, as we go to the end of 2020 and into early 2021 there's going to be less product coming out of there, especially for the Asian market. So this is really an opportunity for the U.S. industry to gain back some of that share. And I think think what we'll see on the beef side between now and the end of the year is uh, we're going to make up a little bit of this deficit we saw from earlier in the year in terms of year-on-year performance. So uh, while year-to-date we're down currently uh, on the beef side, uh, you know, about – percent we think that'll get closer to last year's level by the end of the year so yeah we have an opportunity here to make up ground on the beef side
0: we're talking with dan hallstrom president and ceo of the u.s meat export federation so when we look at the market like taiwan uh you have pointed out the u.s you know really has dominated uh, that market in, in in chilled beef in recent years we have more than 75 percent market share in August, U.S. beef accounted for more than eighty percent of Taiwan's chilled imports. Uh, how? What's the growth potential in that market? Or are we pretty? Or are we uh, about as high as you think we can get, or do you think we can go even higher in that market?
8: I think there's a there's potential to go even higher, and you know Taiwan is a very uh, very wealthy uh, country. Uh, they're they're willing and able to pay for quality. And they very much prefer chilled beef uh, to frozen for a variety of reasons, number one reason being the the higher uh, overall eating quality you get from a chilled item. So um, the other beauty of this chilled business is it's 52-week-a-year business. So whether the price goes up or goes down in a given week, they're buying every week. So uh, it tends to be more of a program buy versus a a price buy. You know, when you buy frozen, you can kind of, try to time the market. So this is the other hidden benefit of growing a market that prefers chilled beef uh, and the same thing on the pork side. We, we aim for a lot of markets for chilled pork for the very same reason. So combination of high quality and, and less dependence on price and they're more interested in the program. So this is really the goal in a lot of the markets.
0: Let's talk a little bit more about South Korea. Uh, what's the potential there, you think, for beef?
8: Well, I think Korea's had an outstanding run uh, the last two or three years. Um, record uh, volumes and value last year um, in 2019. Uh, now we have a few months in early the spring of this year where we were down significantly, but the numbers bounce back here in the month of August. Um, they're, they're big time meat eaters in Korea and uh, they very much prefer the grain fed rich taste of U.S. beef. So... Uh, I think uh, Korea is well positioned to have a, a very good last part of the year. Um we we're, were up 22% here in August. I think you could see similar numbers in the fall. Um and, and they're uh, you know they're they're also uh dependent on Australian beef. So you know similar to Japan um, you know and Taiwan, Korea could also be an area where we gain extra share back at the end of the year. So yeah, I think there's ability to grow and of course, we've got the chorus agreement where we have a superior uh, uh, tariff advantage going into Korea as well. So, uh, yeah, I think things look really good for uh, long-term growth in Korea as well.
0: Is there another market emerging that you kind of tab as, here's one to watch?
8: <clears throat> well, on the on the beef side, I think, uh, you know, the um, at the moment, uh, Latin America, Cent- Central, South America, and Mexico is still in the throes of the COVID lockdown with tourism really uh, shut down. But I think as they come out, this is another region to look at because uh, it's just a matter of timing. Hopefully soon this fall we're going to see them start to come out of their lockdown. And and uh, I, I think that's a real opportunity to, to come back with a vengeance, especially at the food service segment. So, And then there's other emerging regions too, like Africa. Uh, Africa shows a lot of promise long-term. uh we're already our third largest destination for beef variety meats into Africa. So typically uh, uh, what happens next is we start to see demand grow for the primal cuts. So th- this is the other area we have our uh, our eyes on.
0: Now there's been foot and mouth disease found in parts of Africa. Uh, could that play a factor?
8: Uh, yeah, long term. They have a lot of uh, animal health and food safety concerns, without a doubt, which, which once again highlights the, the quality aspect of U.S. products, beef and pork. So I think uh, from a reputational standpoint and, and, you know, the growing economy of Africa, uh, we're well positioned to, to fill not only fill the void, but uh, to be a premium uh, uh, source of protein uh, into that market.
0: If I'd have told you January one that we were going to have a global pandemic this year and that you would have here in mid October the numbers you have as far as meat exports would you be uh would you have taken it would you say yeah those would be good numbers if we're dealing with a worldwide pandemic
8: <laughs> yeah i I would have taken it in a heartbeat uh I think it just goes to show the uh the market is truly resilient and uh um you know, people people are going to eat. They're going to continue to eat, um, especially high-quality products in the U.S., pork and beef. And uh, and I think the way they eat, of course, it's extremely chaotic. It's shifted all over the place in, in some markets more than others. But the bottom line is when you wash it out at the bottom, uh, consumption is still
0: strong. And I think that's a key. How people consume food may be different for many Post COVID nineteen, so if you're in the uh, meat selling business, you have to adapt and adjust to that.
8: Oh, without a doubt, yeah, and I think I think that's the beauty, Mike. You hit on it. The um, some of these um, trends, and let's look at the digital online platforms. Um, you know, this was a, a very active trend in Asia pre COVID. I mean, they are on the forefront. Places like Korea and places like uh, uh, Taiwan. You know, were This was a big deal pre-COVID. Well, now it's just jump starters. I mean, people want convenience. They want minimal contact. There's more demand for online delivery, uh, whether that's delivery to the home, delivery to the car in the parking lot so you don't have to come into the retail store. These things are booming all over the world, but especially in Asia. So, yeah, this is is not going to change. When we get back to having food service back to whatever the new normal is going to be, they're not going to stop using these platforms. These platforms are here to stay, and I think that's the case with a lot of these trends. Uh, you're going to see them here to stay and, and hopefully uh, help you know our, our demand side even more than it was before.
0: A lot of good work. A lot of good work uh, being done by the U.S. Meat Export Federation and uh, keeping those meat sales, those exports uh, strong throughout the world, even during a pandemic. Dan, as always, good to talk with you. Thanks for the update.
8: My pleasure,
0: Mike, anytime. Take care. Dan Holstrom, President and CEO of the U.S. Meat Export Federation. Well, harvest is rolling along for a lot of areas, but for that part of Iowa hit by deratio, it's slow going. Some of that down corn. We'll get an update next on AOA. <music> Adams on Agriculture, brought to you by Cinex Premium Diesel. Synex Premium Diesel, diesel that doesn't mess around.
7: The Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council present the story of Cynthia and Ed.
8: My mother was always very active and independent, and she was familiar with her neighborhood. But one day, out of the blue, she stopped at the stop sign for much longer than usual. And uh, she didn't know
7: it could be Alzheimer's. Now is the time to talk. Visit alz.org/slash-our-stories to learn more. A message from the Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council.
4: No word in the English language is less convincing than probably. Are you sure we should get matching tattoos on our first date?
5: Sure, um, we'll probably stay together. Probably? <laughs> it's been twenty-three minutes
4: since I ate.
9: Yeah, I'm probably okay. Probably okay isn't
3: okay, especially when it comes to drinking and driving. If you're drinking, call a cab, a car, or a friend. Buzz driving is drunk driving. A message brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad
0: Council. This is Around the Table, where we explore the benefits of cooperative ownership. And today we're talking with Dan Schur chair of the CHS board of directors about how the cooperative system is meeting the needs of agriculture today. How can farmers and ranchers get the most value from cooperative ownership?
9: Well, you know, when I think about cooperatives, I think sometimes it's it's easy for somebody that's deeply involved in cooperatives to see the value and see what the cooperative does behind the scenes, you know, what they're working on behind the scenes. And a lot of times a cooperative does things that we're focused on the owner, so we're going to do some things that we make sure that we provide value to that owner. We may, for instance, put propane in trains and park them somewhere so we have propane for our customers. Well, some companies just wouldn't do that because that doesn't make sense to them. But for us, it does make sense because we're, we're focused on our, on our owners being successful. And so we have to do those kinds of things. So if you learn a little bit about what a cooperative system does and how it works—it's it, it's pretty enticing. So when I think about it, it's pretty easy to get involved. It's pretty easy to to be a, a part of this system. First of all, all you got to do is be a customer. So it's simply by being a customer, you know you can you can be involved in the cooperative system. And and our co-ops are going to be there every day. Competing for your business, and they got to do that. They have to be competitive with the, with the rest of of the in, uh, business world that they're they're competing against. Secondly, you're a patron, and just because you're a customer, you become a patron. Then you can share in the value of that co-op generates. So if the co-op is successful, you share by getting patronage back to your farm.
0: And thanks for joining us on Around the Table. Learn more about the benefits of co-op ownership from CHS at cooperativeownership.com.
1: When you think of home, you think of warmth, comfort, and peace of mind. And that's exactly what you get when you choose propane from FS. With Propane from FS, you get our well-trained professional staff, along with an array of products and services designed to ensure that your propane system is functioning properly and efficiently. Add to this a variety of convenient terms and ways to save money, and you've got the right solution to all your home energy needs. Contact your local FS Propane specialist today. FS Propane feels like home. Visit fspropane.com.
4: There's a reason more than a billion feet of ADS farm tile lies beneath America's heartland. It's simple. We build trust. Since 1966, farmers and their families have trusted ADS products to improve yields and create longer growing seasons. From lift stations to water control structures, ADS Agriculture has everything you need for total ag water management solutions. For everyone out there feeding the world, we wish you all a safe and happy harvest. Adams on Agriculture is brought to you by Sinex
0: Premium Diesel. With Cenex Premium Diesel, you can count on a diesel that will keep your
1: operation in top shape. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams.
0: Well, for many, Harvest 2020 is rolling along at a record or near record pace. Good weather has just allowed the harvest to roll on, but... If you are in parts of the country that got hit by derecho this summer and you're looking at corn laying flat on the ground, it goes very, very slowly. Let's get a report on that. Lance Lillibridge joins us now. Lance, thank you for being with us. We talked uh, shortly after derecho hit. Um, we talked about it was going to be a slow go, and now you're into that this slow process. Tell us what it's like trying to harvest all this down corn.
3: Oh, yes, it is absolutely miserable. <laughs> it's not a whole lot of fun. It's very slow going. There are a lot of debris in the fields and uh, a lot of damage uh, that's happening to equipment. Uh, you know, with buildings and grain bins being out there, it's hard to avoid flat tires. And it's, you know, putting, you just can't see the lumber out there. It's going through the combine and we're digging two by fours out. It's not much fun. Let's just put it that way.
0: Wow, so what do you are you using roller cones, or what do you what are you doing to try to get that corn up?
3: Yeah, so on our, our machine we have a roller cones on the outside, and that is a that is a godsend. It's definitely a blessing to have those, and the uh, row finders as well are uh, helping tremendously. We're finding in some of it we are able to to go both ways, um, and we're we're getting it picked up. Um, it's kind of amazing that uh, we're not seeing grain quality issues at this point. Um, It's been dry enough here that uh, we've been lucky to avoid some molds and and things like that. So fortunate that way, but it is definitely a tough go of it.
0: Yeah, you know, stories of uh, finding unusual things in fields when you're harvesting, those aren't new. But the number of things you're finding, how how frequently you're finding them, I'm sure uh, this is something new to you, right?
3: Oh yeah. Yeah. We found a couple of teddy bears already. It's, uh, this, that's kind of heart wrenching when you see that. <laughs>
2: so
3: it, uh, We don't know where they came from, but, uh, it's, it's crazy. Some of the stuff that you find out there,
6: uh,
3: <laughs> we even found a few live pigs. One of the neighbors has, so there's, uh, some hogs wow. still running around livestock loose. So,
0: so we know some farmers just wound up disking their corn under, uh, Tell us, take us through that process, that decision making that you had to make, determining well we're going to go ahead, and we're going to try to harvest it.
3: So, so fortunately, we didn't uh, have anything that we had to disc under. I guess uh, one could argue whether that's fortunate or unfortunate, but um, you know, to disc that under, that's that's a tough, uh, tough, tough decision on what you do with it, and, and for next year too, there's going to be a lot of volunteer corn out there. Um, but, uh, you know, if, you're, if you've got a 100% loss on it, unharvestable crop, then that's probably the best option. Um, I know that they did up the acres from 550,000, I think, to 850,000 unharvestable acres or acres that are not going to be harvested. And I see that actually going higher than that uh, when this is all said and done. There's just a lot of corn out here that's it's just not going to get done. It's not going to get picked up.
0: We're talking with Iowa farmer Lance Littlebridge. Lance, what part of Iowa are you in? So
3: I'm in Benton County, and uh, so we we are just on the north edge of the, the damage here. And uh, you go two miles south of my farm, and it's just total destruction. There's lots and lots of damage, and but uh, definitely a lot of crop damage everywhere. Regardless of whether it went completely flat or if it's all twisted up, the yields are not there. That's for sure.
0: I was going to ask, how much are you able to salvage out of that? I mean, uh, are there times you're you're questioning your decision to go ahead and try to harvest?
3: Yeah, there's that's a that's a, a question that goes through your mind in every pass. Um, we've we've got uh, some fields that we do some custom work for folks, and and their yields are half of what they were last year, and uh, that's pretty depressing.
0: Now you mentioned. Uh, how slow it is and i think anyone who's ever harvested down corn certainly can relate to it Uh, but take us through a typical day how much can you get done in a day now
3: (laughs) well on on some of these fields we're able to move right along um you know three and a half mile an hour you know four and a half mile an hour but there's some fields too that uh it's a very slow mile an hour pace going across there And and it's mostly because we're having to keep an eye out for all this debris, the debris is what's really concerning.
0: Now, how much impact did it have on beans?
3: Well, you know, I, I think there was an impact on beans, probably not as dramatic as it was on corn. Um, I, have myself, just got done harvesting a 200-acre field that the beans got laid down in, and uh, we weren't able to get those all picked up. We seemed to be jumping over. Over beams, no matter what direction we went. Um, so there's an impact there. I I, I don't know how to put a how many bushels of the acre impact it was, but uh, there's definitely impact there.
0: You ever you ever been through anything like this?
3: Yeah, unfortunately, in 2011, our farm uh, was hit with a derecho as well. We had uh, 123 mile an hour winds for. 20 minutes straight and uh, we lost all our buildings and our corn was flat the difference between the 2011 storm and this one was uh, in 2011 it was July 11th and so our corn was uh, right before pollination and there was a lot of moisture in the ground so after that storm the, the corn stood back up pretty well and we ended up with a pretty decent crop um, this time around we were really dry we didn't get a lot of rain with that storm. So when it knocked it down, it busted it off, and it was done.
0: Wow. So you've you've been through this twice. That, that's that's yeah. tough. Wow. You know, I can't imagine going through it once, and now you're, you've gone through it twice. So you at least had some experience, I guess, dealing with it this time around. Well, Lance, we'll let you get back to it. Thank you so much uh, for uh Uh, letting us you know kind of into what you're dealing with a lot of other farmers are dealing with that were hit by the derecho storm Uh, we wish you the very best
3: all right thank you very much y'all have a good day and be safe out there
0: all right take care lance thank you iowa farmer lance littlebridge struggling uh to get through uh harvest uh because of all the damage from Doratio this summer all right that wraps it up for today thanks so much for joining us hope you'll tune in again tomorrow right here at aoa stay safe everyone Cinex premium diesel comes with a more complete additive package for a more complete burn to optimize performance in all engines